Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we're super excited to have today Dr. Mike Leonis, who's the medical director of pediatric liver transplantation here at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland Clinic Children's. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to talk a little bit today about acute liver failure diagnosis and specifically the treatment in pediatric patients. But before we get to that, I want to always start off with knowing our guests a little bit better. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you train? And how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? So uh, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, so Western boy. Um, but after high school, I've spent the rest of my training and career in the Midwest primarily. I did my fellowship at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and was uh, stayed on faculty there for another 15, 17 years before I took a position, a similar position to what I have here at the Children's Hospital of Alabama, Birmingham. That didn't work out for me. Being South was a different experience for my family and I, so we decided to seek opportunities elsewhere and maybe perhaps return back to Ohio where we enjoyed uh, family and friends so much. So I knew some of the folks here at Cleveland Clinic and uh, raised my hand and they had an opportunity and that, that's how I ended up here. Well, that's fantastic, and we're sure glad to have you here. So let's let's jump right into it. So at a very high level, what what is acute liver failure, and how common is it? So acute liver failure is a rare syndrome both in adults and in kids, and it's where out of the blue usually in a previously healthy individual, their liver develops an insult that leads to failure of the liver's capacity to function properly for the body. The liver is like a biochemical factory for the, for the body. It does lots of things silently that we're usually not paying attention to. And so it's not until it gets really sick that we, it usually uh, screams and hollers and brings itself to our attention. That manifests in people, it's hum- in humans, is their eyes turning yellow. Uh, they may have excessive bleeding or bruising. Uh, they may get very lethargic. And often parents will suspect that something's up and they'll think of uh, the kid kid or the adult has a viral-like illness, so they'll go to the emergency room and it's the caregivers that realize, oh my gosh, there's something funky going on with the liver. Checking liver function is part of routine labs that um, often are obtained in the doctor's office or in the emergency room, but they're focused on this, of course, if the kids are yellow or the patients are yellow. And once you see that there is some liver dysfunction where the liver's not working normally, that really should raise the alarm bells, really draw the attention of the caregivers, the doctors, to watch that patient very closely because things can rapidly deteriorate. They may, the patient may look great, and in kids in particular, they may look just fine. But if you've got any hints of liver dysfunction, you got to watch them and repeat labs frequently. It's not unusual for us to check labs every eight hours, every 12 hours, and make sure things are heading in the right direction. It kind of is a part of this. Um, you mentioned some of the symptoms that they may experience, but I'm sure that acute liver failure kind of can be a standalone or there's a categorization to it. So, you know, what are some of the causes and some of the risk factors for it? And And again, is it a standalone thing where you just say, hey, I got acute liver failure, or is it more of a manifestation of an underlying disease? Unfortunately, there's hundreds, if not thousands of reasons that you could have acute liver failure. There are some broad 
large categories where maybe the largest percentage, uh, and, and again, the, the composition, the etiologies leading to acute liver failure differ between children and adults. In adults, it's very, uh, one of the largest categories is a drug-induced toxicity. For example, the most well-recognized is accidental overdose of acetaminophen. And that large dose ingestion can basically nuke or kill the liver fairly quickly. Uh, thankfully, there's an antidote for that. And most of the patients, if we catch them early enough, uh, escape without needing a liver transplant. Other large categories of, uh, leading to acute liver failure could be a viral-induced um, acute liver failure. That's fairly common in kids. An autoimmune-triggered mechanism or an immune dysregulation where it's not quite our classic autoimmune presentation, but it's something wherein the immune system gets tricked and may be triggered by a viral infection. And then afterwards, our immune system gets revved up so much that it can't turn itself off. And so it leads to the immune system attacking the liver. Other categories, there could be a metabolic disorder. That's fairly more common in kids than it would be in adults because a viral illness or some other serious event leads to unmasking of the metabolic disorder. And or say if they're not feeding, they get themselves into a catabolic state and that can lead to all sorts of metabolic perturbations. So there's a long list of etiologies and that is part of the conundrum for us because the etiology matters and whether or not how we're gonna manage that afterwards. Some of the etiologies there's treatments for outside or just standard routine treatment of taking care of the patient. There's sometimes specific antidotes that can be used or specific therapies for some of these etiologies. And all the time for all patients though, we're always sitting back as liver doctors trying to decide, do we need to list this patient for liver transplant or is this something that their liver is going to recover on their own and we can spare them that life changing surgical experience. If we know the etiology that helps guide us a little bit. Often though, maybe 30 to 40% of the time, we don't establish an etiology. So that's called indeterminate acute liver failure. And when that occurs, we kind of nowadays in the, uh, in the last couple of years have figured out that at least in children, uh, the majority of those indeterminate acute liver failure patients have an immune dysregulation phenotype. And so current ongoing studies in the United States are to establish whether or not uh, if we treat those kids differently and maybe give them some immunotherapy, can we alter the clinical course for the indeterminate liver patients that have acute liver failure? So you talked a little bit earlier about how the etiologies may be different or the, the causes, the underlying causes between adults and children, but truth or myth, acute liver failure is defined the same way in children as compared to adults. Truth or myth? So the, the fairest answer to that is it's myth. For decades, uh, we didn't have great research in kids with acute liver failure, so the pediatric world took their guidance from what was known in the adult GI field, hepatology field, where there were hundreds of uh, patients that had been studied across the world. And by definition, in the adult world, you have liver failure along with encephalopathy, along with mental status changes, Lethargy, severe lethargy, maybe even coma. You needed those mental status changes in order to call it acute liver failure. 
So we, for decades, the 1970s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, applied the same definitions to kids and realized, the pediatric hepatologists realized, we're not catching a large subset of, those, of the kids that go on to die. Some of them never develop encephalopathy. So when we gathered our consortium of institutions to begin to study pediatric acute liver failure, we broadened the definition just to capture all the sick patients and then to see what would happen with them when we follow them thereafter. And lo and behold, after we collected a thousand patients with an expanded definition, where we looked at not just kids that had mental status changes, but even those with just liver dysfunction, but no mental status changes, the kids who had no mental status changes ended up having bad prognosis just almost to the same degree as those with the mental status changes, or at least at a high enough level that we knew that we needed to treat them as acute liver failure as well. So we've expanded our definition to a greater degree than a greater universe of sick patients by, based on lab results and clinical features than what is commonly used in the adult world now. So we're gonna change directions now and talk a little bit about treatment. So a couple of quick questions for you. So, you know, you mentioned about uh, listing for transplant versus other treatments. So a couple of questions. Number one, how important is early detection? And, you know, especially with this whole idea of you don't necessarily have to have mental status changes. And then number two, when, when do you go in if they turn out a little yellow, a lot yellow, the itchiness, the other things, and then, and then just go into some treatment options that are available for some of the acute liver failure patients? The first question, what criteria do you use and um, what should you do when the kids are coming in sick? I, I beat on the table with all my pediatric residents that anytime they detect someone has liver injury, by the elevated liver enzymes, which is commonly measured in the ER or the outpatient setting with, with routine blood labs. Anytime you have elevated liver enzymes that's new for a patient, you gotta track it serially and uh, try to understand, is it going up? Is it getting high? Is it coming down and improving on its own? And if it's going up or it's staying elevated, you have to check liver function markers which are not commonly checked in the emergency room. So that means checking to make sure your blood's clotting okay. Checking to make sure the bilirubin level isn't elevated. If you ever get liver dysfunction tests that are abnormal, that is a red flag. You need to follow that closely daily, if not every other day, until you understand is it going up or going down. And always raise your hand and call a hepatologist to help along with you so they can follow that patient. Even if you're picking them up in a rural setting, call us. We are happy to help over the phone and follow you know, from a distance. If you have liver dysfunction and they're sick, you know they've got other acute uh, symptoms, they probably need to be admitted to the hospital, at least in the pediatric world. That's our recommendation. And there we will watch them closely and it avoids, you know, not them not returning for follow-up visits or follow-up labs in the outpatient world. Sometimes that's challenging. And then just what are some of the treatment options that are available? So we mentioned what the treatment option if we have evidence that it's acetaminophen overdose. That's pretty much the, the classic treatment for mushroom poisoning, a certain type of poisonous mushrooms out there. If you go pick your own mushrooms in the fields, or we kind of recommend you don't do that unless you are expert at this. There is a relatively hard to obtain, but obtainable antidote for one of the mushroom populations that can cause acute liver failure. 
for some of the metabolic disorders or specific medicines that are anecdotes, like tyrosinemia. These are not things that emergency rooms going to diagnose. You have to be under the care of a multidisciplinary team to figure this one out. And some of the immune disorders respond to steroids, for example. There are one or two viruses that have um, treatments, herpes, acute liver failure. We will treat with a medicine called acyclovir. Aside from that, there's not really very good specific therapies, and otherwise it's routine supportive care, which often involves patients being in the intensive care unit where we're monitoring kidney function, lung function, cardiac function, because although you typically might start off with an acute liver injury, it can spread and become a multiple organ dysfunction um, problem very quickly. So how often can you get these patients back and have full recovery? And how often does it get to the point where either there's death or you got a list for transplant? How, 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 what does that look like, the outcomes? I wish I had great data on that. I know the numbers of patients that end up getting liver transplant, but what we don't know is what would happen to the patients that we didn't pull the trigger on. Once we pull the trigger, we're changing the natural history. And uh, so we don't have great data on large numbers of kids before the era of liver transplant to know what happens in the universe of patients if you just left all those etiologies play itself out. Nowadays, roughly um, probably two-thirds of the patients are able to recover on, and I'm talking about kids primarily now, are able to recover on their own without needing a liver transplant. There's probably a subset of patients that we should have transplanted who ended up dying. And clearly there's a subset of patients that we ended up transplanting who probably would have survived on their own, but we were too worried and we didn't wanna, we felt like we were playing with fire and we couldn't take the gamble of losing that child. So we tend to hold off on uh, listing someone for a liver transplant unless they start to have some mental status changes. Because until then, until those the things worsen to the point where that starts to occur, we are hedging our bet and hoping that they will recover on their own. But as I mentioned earlier, there are some kids, maybe 5% of kids with no mental status changes who ended up dying. So it's a very uh, frustrating condition to be handed. And uh, the, the information like what the last point I just made is why there is still gonna be a little bit more tendency to be conservative and list the kid sooner than later. So can you talk about any advancements that are either occurring now or on the horizon for acute liver failure treatment, specifically in children? Yeah, in fact, I, I alluded to this already. It is because of research that was um, implemented on this by this con consortium of pediatric hepatologists within the last 10 years on the indeterminate population of patients that we learned from looking at biomarkers and from looking at the liver tissue of these patients, that they have an expansion of a certain type of immune cell in their liver tissue and in peripheral blood markers based on lab tests that tell us that their immune system is hyperactivated. And normally you don't get that degree of hyperactivation. It's a certain immune cell called a CD8 cell. And usually those CD8 cells aren't as hyperactivated 
in other causes of liver failure, like metabolic-induced acute liver failure or acetaminophen-induced acute liver failure, we don't see those immune activation markers show up. So because that immune activation is present in a large percentage of the patients with indeterminate acute liver failure, that is preliminary evidence, strong preliminary evidence for us that the next best thing to do in this patient population is to hit them with an immune suppressive agent to keep those CD8 cells quiet. So that's why people are testing right now. And I'm hopeful it'll turn out to be, uh, be um, effective is to hit them with steroids or IVIG. And if that doesn't work, we might have to get more specific and target by immunotherapy of those CD8 cells. Well, now it's time for our quick hitters where we get to know our guests a little bit better. So first of all, what's your favorite food? By far, in a way, pizza. Fantastic. And what's your favorite sport to play and to watch? Oh, my goodness. I'm not an active sports player, but I love watching soccer. Fantastic. And uh, tell me a place that you would say recommend high uh, if, that you really enjoyed traveling to. Um, the most frequent place I've traveled and where I dream of keep returning to is Greece. That's where my family's from and so I have relatives in, and of course, I love the geography. Is there a specific island you would recommend? Of course, Crete. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great <laughs> things about Crete. And then finally, you, uh, you obviously, you've been around. As you said, you're a West Coast boy, and then kind of Midwest, then down South, and back up here. So tell, tell us something that you enjoy about Northeast Ohio. Believe it or not, I enjoy the weather. The last two summers have been the nicest summers of my life. And uh, I'm used to either really dry and excoriating heat or really hot in excessive humidity. And I just cannot believe that I went through 120 days of summer with only like two or three days meeting any of those uh, bad criteria. So the, the summers are absolutely spectacular in my book. Uh, I'm a gardener, I'm an outdoors person for hiking and things like that with my wife. And uh, so that's perfect. And we love the snow, so it's not excessive snow like maybe upstate New York or Minnesota or Wisconsin. Um, so we don't mind a few additional inches than what you, they might get in the south uh, of southern Ohio. Fantastic. And so give us a final take-home message regarding this acute liver failure diagnosis and treatment in pediatric patients. I think the most important take-home message for uh, physicians, parents out there is anytime you detect abnormal liver injury, please assess liver function, and please feel free to call a hepatologist so we can help you uh, decide on the pace and tenor of follow-up management. Fantastic and great words. And so for more information about Cleveland Clinic Children's Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition Department, please visit clevelandclinicchildrens.org slash GI. That's clevelandclinicchildrens.org slash GI. You can also call us at 216-444-5437. That's 216-444-5437. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Butts and Guts. You're welcome. It was fun. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.